Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we pick up in Mark chapter 9 with verses 14 through 29. Right after the transfiguration of Jesus, which was witnessed by three of his disciples, he returns to the rest of them to encounter another crisis. There's a huge crowd already gathered, an argument going on with the hypocritical scribes and a demon-possessed young man. And when they saw him coming, they flocked to him to see what he would do. Have you ever had a day like that? Right after experiencing a spiritual high, the world throws every problem at you that it seems like it can muster. How does your faith hold up in crisis? Is it strong? Is it weak? Do you often wish you had more? Do you ever wonder if God is able to do something like the father of this boy did when he asked Jesus, if you can do something, will you? And Jesus keyed in on that word, if. If I can, don't you understand who I am? What does that say about your faith? Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, I Do Believe, Help My Unbelief. So they engaged the nine apostles and whoever else was around while they were gone. And notice that it also says, and some scribes were arguing with them. That's a lot like saying, the sun came up yesterday. Because that's what the scribes do. They just want to argue about anything and everything. They're always looking for a way to try to discredit Jesus. And what was going on there that you're going to see in a moment had given them a prime opportunity to really bug the nine apostles who were there. Probably that's what they were arguing about. Now, it doesn't really matter what they argued about. Because if it did matter, we'd be told. But we do know it was a bad day for those nine. They were not able to help someone in desperate need. And they were getting an earful of verbosity from the scribes to boot. So verse 15. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. Mark used a strong word here, just just seeing Jesus, they were amazed. Now remember, he's up near Caesarea Philippi, that's out of the beaten path of where he had spent most of his ministry there, so they were amazed just to see him. Most of these people maybe were seeing him for the very first time. So verse 16, he asked them, now there's two possible antecedents for them. The scribes or the disciples. Um, I think he was probably asking the disciples, what, were, uh, what are you discussing with them? Now, Jesus didn't ask because he needed the information. He asked because he wanted the matter at hand to be clear to everyone else. He wanted somebody to lay it out. The word discussing, by the way, uh, translates a word that throughout the Gospels is almost always used for the 
arguments brought up by the Jewish leaders against Jesus. They never sat down with him and had a calm, factual, respectful discussion about anything. They always attacked Jesus and his men. They always disputed about things. Now, it's interesting that the nine didn't answer and the scribes didn't answer. The scribes probably put a sock in it because they knew from experience how it would go if they started arguing with Jesus. They'd never won an argument. They'd always been humiliated. But the, the nine apostles also didn't seem to find words right away because they weren't doing so well with this problem at hand and they were probably totally at a loss to answer whatever the scribes were throwing at them. But an answer comes. There's one in the crowd who speaks up. He was the one who had gotten this whole incident started. He was likely exasperated about the argument that was going on because it was taking attention away from the problem that he wanted Jesus to to solve. So verses 17 and 18. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And we're going to find out later, deaf also. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. So this man had come from you know, probably somewhere in the region. We don't know how far. He brought his son to Jesus, and given the condition of the son, that, that might have been a difficult thing to do. When Jesus wasn't there where he thought he was going to find Jesus, he told his problem to the nine disciples who were there. By the way, in, in Luke's description of this, in Luke chapter 9, Luke adds that this was his only son, as if it's not a terrible enough problem, uh, as if that's not serious enough, and to be possessed with a demon is serious in every condition, but it's his only son. That just adds to the pathos of this. All of his parental care was poured into this one boy. Now, the issue was demon possession. And we're going to see before long that on a scale of seriousness, as I say, all demon possession is extremely serious. This one was very serious. Jesus has cast out thousands of demons prior to this. Remember that For a a span of a few weeks, he had even given the power over demons to the twelve apostles whom he had sent out two by two on their preaching tour, and they had cast out demons during that time. So it's reasonable, therefore, that when the nine were there waiting for Peter, James, John, and Jesus to come back down the the mountain, and this guy came with a demon-possessed son, they probably figured... We've got this. We can, we can help. But they were unable to handle it. So there they were, standing with a blanket of embarrassed silence draped over them. What do we do here? Now remember what we've learned about demons. They've, they are fallen angels. They've been 
doing the work of Satan ever since they fell with him, almost always demons remain hidden. Second uh, Corinthians explains to us, they, they choose to disguise themselves as angels of light. They're masters of disguise. They don't usually grab people and throw them to the ground and, and make them foam at the mouth. And they don't usually inflict bodily harm. That's very rare. Most of the work of demons is through ideas and writings and philosophies and as they say, religious things, disguising disguising themselves as angels of light. But during the ministry of Jesus, very often demons openly assaulted Him and did horrible things to people right out in the open. Because in the presence of the Son of God, the identity of the demons was unmasked. And He always exercised power over them. Well, I'm sure that word had gotten around and even though this man had obviously never seen Jesus before, he, he knew that his son's problem was the work of a demon, so he sought out Jesus. Now, the prevailing opinion about this guy's son was probably not that he had a demon. Most people probably thought it was a mental disorder. And we understand that because when you read Matthew's version of this, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 15, the father describes his son as a lunatic. Now, that's not politically correct in our day and age. But the word, in case you wonder where lunatic comes from, you look it up, it literally means moonstruck, lunatic. Um, That's where the word comes from. And, And he was also... Uh, That word was also used to describe an epileptic, which fits what was going on with this boy. Now, you say, well, there's there's one of those contradictions. Mark says that the father said he has a demon. Matthew says the father said, no, he's he's a lunatic. Well, the point is, there's no contradiction. No, neither passage says that this is a verbatim record of everything that was said. He was regarded as crazy. He was regarded as a lunatic. But the father had more insight, and he understood that the reason for that ultimately was demonic. So he used the words that people used to describe him, and he described it as demonic. So um, there's no contradiction. Um, Based on the description that we have in our text of what this demon did to the boy... It's probably both demonic and the result of brain damage from the things that the demon did to him. Luke 9, in Luke's uh, version of this, he uses a verb that speaks of the father describing the demon as mauling his son, a word that can mean to crush, to shatter, or or to break in pieces. The boy probably had multiple concussions without ever taking one single snap in the NFL. So it's appropriate both to mention his need for a demon to be cast out and to describe that he needs to be healed. It's appropriate to say he has a spirit. It's appropriate to say he is regarded as a lunatic. It was both severe uh, physical trauma and a severe spiritual condition. So the disciples 
had cast out demons many times when they went on their preaching tour. If you would like this message this time, on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.